0: natural history of that particular type of epilepsy is that you know you grow out of the epilepsy at a certain age then those individuals could actually stop their medication fellow homo sapiens now
1: genetics is an exciting sphere when it comes to the epilepsies because it really is developing at a rapid speed well this week we chat with professor ushakini a consultant, researcher, and lecturer from Oxford University who tells us about her work on the new, exciting epilepsy genetics project called C's. For C's, they are recruiting individuals and families affected by a primary epilepsy who would like to potentially find out more about their own condition, which may lead to improved treatments, but also improve diagnosis and care for other people around us now and in the future.
0: I'm a consultant in clinical genetics and I work at the Oxford Centre for Genomic Medicine. I have a research interest in the genetics of congenital brain abnormalities, epilepsies and neurodevelopmental disorders.
1: What does that involve? You are involved in much research, I believe, and you're a consultant, so you work directly with patients and with trainees
0: um in the university as well so you do a bit of everything is that right that's absolutely right (laughs) Tori um so I do a bit of everything um in my clinic I see a lot of children usually who have um been born with congenital abnormalities or who develop epilepsy quite early on in life or who are developmentally delayed and have intellectual disability I also see adults um who have neurofibromatosis and some of those individuals also have epilepsy. So a lot of uh, genetic, rare genetic disorders. Um, and in the research, um, currently I'm very excited by the sorts of things we're doing. Um, one of the main projects I'm involved in is something called GenCs. So the GenCs project is an NHS transformation project. Um, It's funded by NHS England through the Central and South Genomic Medicine Service Alliance. Um, And basically what we're trying to do um, through this project is to offer whole genome sequencing to all individuals who have epilepsy, primary epilepsy. So as long as they do not have an acquired cause like an infection or trauma or tumour or autoimmune or some other acquired Cause. Um, And the main aim of doing this is to kind of try and work out um, how much of that idiopathic epilepsy is actually genetic in origin. But the other benefits to patients who have this kind of epilepsy is that actually we can offer more accurate genetic counselling, so more accurate reproductive risks, the risks of their children having epilepsy or a similar disorder, um, if the epilepsy is just part of another condition, for example. Also, this is a great way of learning about the natural history of some of these um, rare genetic epilepsies. And then, again, if you've got a group of patients who have got the same sort of rare genetic epilepsy, it kind of has implications for um, clinical trial readiness. Um, So, you know, um, pharmaceutical companies obviously always interested in groups of patients with the same rare genetic disorder. Um, So those are the kind of main things we are looking at. Um, Interestingly, with this project, we're focusing not just on patients who have just complex and severe epilepsies. We are focusing on those who have well-controlled epilepsies, who are out there in the community or those being managed by their GPs, so in primary care, Um, we also you know, want to target those individuals who may have had some basic genetic testing previously um, but have not had the most sophisticated whole genome sequencing and so haven't reached a diagnosis yet. Of course, doing whole genome sequencing is not a promise that we will reach a diagnosis in these cases, um, partly because we don't know what most of our genome does at this point. Uh huh. Um, and so there must be so many new genes out there which haven't yet been discovered to cause human disease. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Pretty exciting stuff. I mean, it's really cool
1: actually that you are inviting um, or trying to get interest from people who don't have refractory epilepsy, but indeed have controlled seizures. Um, because often I think those people might feel a little bit left out. It's not like the epilepsy doesn't impact their lives, actually. It really does and can do so in a very negative way. So it's great that those people aren't forgotten. But if their epilepsy is controlled, how will that benefit the study to
0: get information from them? What will that do? At this point, because we only test people who have got severe and complex epilepsy, we don't really know what the spectrum is for some of these rare genetic disorders. So it will allow us to look at that from an epidemiological point of view. But also, I think, you know, certainly, um, I mean, things are better now, but previously, there would be lots of patients who were diagnosed with epilepsy once upon a time, were put on medication, their epilepsy is well-controlled, and then they don't want to change the medication. But if we knew that the natural history of that particular type of epilepsy is that, you know, you grow out of the epilepsy, at a certain age, then those individuals could actually stop their medication, um, you know, and they would feel reassured in doing so, because they then know that there is scientific evidence to support that decision.
1: Oh gosh, that would be so lovely. I can just imagine as a patient being told, do you know what, you're fine, you wouldn't have seizures now anymore, so just you don't need to take this drug. And then the positive impact that could have on the person's cognitive ability, um, their sort of awareness, their... Even things like sleeping and communicating positively, depending upon the dosage that they're on, obviously, but really positively affect their lives.
0: There are so many good things, it sounds like, that could come out of this study. Yes, absolutely. And that's why we're kind of really focused on this. I mean, it's very much a team effort. And we've got, you know, adult neurologists, paediatric neurologists, community paediatricians and the GPs involved in this project. And is it
1: people you're getting involved? um, Are they all from the UK? Um, And is it patients solely from the UK?
0: So it's a very local project at the moment. It's a pilot that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, And we hope to have, um, you know, once we have got more information, we hope to be able to um, spread it out nationwide. Mostly in England because whole genome sequencing isn't really available easily in Scotland and Wales just yet. Yeah,
1: because most people that I've spoken to, most clinicians, we've been talking largely about whole exome sequencing. So about the parts of the genome that we kind of know at the moment might be responsible for lots of um, different um, abnormalities. But the fact you're doing the whole shebang, that's a lot of data to go through.
0: Absolutely. I mean, although they do whole genome sequencing, the focus is on panels of genes that are known to cause the kind of presentation um, of the individual. So whether it's epilepsy or intellectual disability or uh, something else. So uh, it's quite focused because that's the only thing that can be reportable. Mm -hmm. So if you find variants in genes that have not been previously reported to cause human disease, then... Even if it looks suspicious, there isn't a lot you can do um, in terms of helping patients or reporting it back to families.
1: So therefore, what is the purpose of doing whole genome sequencing instead of solely exome sequencing?
0: You know, when we do exome sequencing or even whole genome sequencing at this point, more than 50% of cases still remain unsolved. We don't really get to the bottom of it. And part of it is that there are other mechanisms by which human disease is caused. One of them, of course, is, you know, you may have a change in the non-coding bits of the genes, Mm -hmm. the intronic bits that can be picked up by whole genome sequencing. Um, but also there can be complex rearrangements within the genome. Um, there can be methylation abnormalities. There's just so many different things. And then there are the technical limitations of the way we do uh, whole genome sequencing at the moment that um, do not allow us to reach the diagnosis. So there's lots of different Extra tests we could um, add to what we're doing in order to reach a diagnosis for those patients. So instead of doing it as an exome and then a genome, um, we hope that we have a higher diagnostic rate by just going for whole genome sequencing. Um, also, this data could be used later on for, you know, it can be revisited at a later date if we don't reach a diagnosis straight away.
1: How a bit like how, <laughs> this is going to sound a bit sick, but how, um, was it decades ago, people would take uh, fluid samples from criminals and they couldn't test it at the time because we were not able to identify DNA. And then later on, like decades later, they're like, yeah, we know who this person is and they, and they get convicted right is it so that's kind of along those lines of kind of thinking
0: no convictions patients but do you know what I mean is that <laughs> <laughs> yes I mean obviously resources are an important thing to consider when we're thinking about reanalysis of data because the data is huge as you said you know we're looking at three billion chemicals within the genome um, at any point point. so you know uh, there is a lot to go through and how many people have signed up already and how many more people do we need so it isn't because it's a transformation project and it isn't a research where you have a finite number to reach. It's basically we are trying to um, find more and more patients. So we've only recently started recruiting through primary care. Um, and so, you know, the numbers are not there for the primary care patients. Um, but certainly from tertiary care, because even um when you think about patients attending adult neurology clinics for epilepsy, um, they don't automatically get whole genome sequencing or any kind of genetic testing, unlike pediatric patients um, who can more readily access those. Um, so I think, you know, we don't have the numbers yet. The the project is relatively new. Um, it's in, in its infancy, if you like. Um, so we're waiting for... Um, you know, I think in a few months time, we should have some um, figures to report. Brilliant. And so if anybody
1: is interested, well, first of all, if we have clinicians or say GPs or people of, of other, other sort of professions interested, first of all, how should they get in contact or if they want to find out more, potentially re- refer patients?
0: We're going to have our website, which isn't yet up and running, and it will be um, on the Health Education England website. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, pay, people can contact us through the website.
1: And would it be the same for patients to get in touch if they're interested, or families?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: One more thing about this: lots of people get really nervous about security of data, and you know, they're worried. You've got my whole genome; it's going to be a bit like I don't know Terminator or something in the future. How how can you um, reassure people that um, th- their data is secure?
0: So this is done at a national level. And um, these things have been taken care of, obviously, uh, if it's being offered at a national level. I mean, it's within England, as you know. Um, But there are strong security measures being used um, to maintain the confidentiality. And patients are um, consented properly for this testing. Uh, We prefer to have samples from the affected individual as well as their parents, Um, a trio, uh, because it then helps us to filter out things that are not relevant. Um, so um, you know absolutely not to worry, we can reassure you that um, this is this has been managed really well.
1: Thank you so much to Usha for telling us about the exciting Gen C's project, which could contribute to improving and even saving the lives of millions of people. To learn more about Usha, make sure that you do check her out at www.toryrobinson.com slash epilepsy-sparks-insights, where you can find out more about her and links to her work. You can also find out more about the Gen C's project, which has been added to the Epilepsy Sparks website at epilepsysparks.com slash research-involvement. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends, family and colleagues, anybody interested in the human brain, to be honest, because it really helps us to get our messages about the epilepsies out to the masses. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.